Welcome to The Hoop Commitment. I'm your host, Mike Nielsen. Join me every week to get inside the greatest minds in basketball nutrition, training, and leadership to elevate your game and improve the way you eat, train, and lead. Welcome to episode 13. Today's guest is Leon Rice. He's the head men's basketball coach at Boise State University. I got to know him when I was a player at Gonzaga, and I respect him so much as a coach, a friend, a husband, and a father. When we connected this summer, he shared a book that he created called The Unbreakable Culture. Now, so many of us want to have a strong team culture, yet we don't know how to do it or aren't willing to invest the time. And so I wanted to dig a little deeper and find out why building an unbreakable culture is so important to Leon that he created a book about it. And then he invests time every week to educate and motivate his players to be their best. If you're a player, coach, or parent of a basketball player, you're going to leave inspired to build a stronger culture for your environment. Here's Coach Leon Rice. Coach, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Are we ready? Yeah. Well, don't, 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 that was my big intro right there. I thought you were going to. You said I'm going to start it off like, like okay, I'm ready. Here we go. Here we go. Mike. Let's go. Hey, well, I wanted to start off. I've already given you this great intro that I had pre-recorded, but I want to find out who helped Coach Leon become the coach that you are today. Well, I've been I've been so fortunate in my career. I you know I started off. Uh, with Mike Guajardo at Pasco High School, and then I got into college coaching with uh, Don Munson, and and I learned a lot of valuable things from him about integrity, and and things that maybe shaped me, uh, foundational things for my coaching that you know always doing it right, don't take shortcuts, operate with integrity, and and that was a really really important base for me as a young coach because. I think when you're starting out in this profession, you're just kind of impressionable. You gotta, you're questioning on how things get done, and you don't know. And and so for me to get that base of, of the high road, the integrity, and doing things right and treating people right, uh, that that was really important. Um, and then you know I was able to work with uh, with Dean Nicholson, who really really shaped my coaching style, maybe, and and the way I approach things. In the way the way he treated people too, you know that whether you were the fifteenth man or the first man, or you, you were important, and uh, I think I I always took that with me, and and it's something I try to live with now. And then, you know, Mark Few and I were I was fortunate to be with Mark for his first eleven years as a head coach, and I think we you know I I, I think we influenced each other strongly, and and I I find myself you know catching myself saying things that he would say and and I, I i think there's things that i took from dean and maybe some of these other guys i had that really influenced the way he coaches well and you've been to a lot of places and you paid your dues it's it's not easy to get to the level of coaching that you're at and i remember you walked into my office one day with a book that was full of rejection letters Mind telling, of, telling yeah. the listeners that story well that that's one of my pride and joys uh I'm not not joys, but it's kind of something that's near, you know, one of my most prized possessions is that folder with all those rejection letters, because it kind of the mindset of 
I'm not going to let anything get in my way. I'm just going to, you know, I was young. I was dumb. I, I'm like, I want to do this and I'm not going to let anything stop me. And I wrote to probably, it was the old days where you had to go get the addresses of the schools and write a letter. You know, I typed out a letter, individual letter to each one of these schools. They, you know, there wasn't like mass emails or anything like that. I sent letters out and I spent all the money on postage and every day I'd get about five rejection letters back and, and uh, I just kept plugging away. And the neat thing for me is I've got them all still. And it kind of reminds me of the journey and the and the grind and that never say die attitude that you have to have. And I, interesting thing, I was rejected by Oregon. I was rejected by Gonzaga and Boise State. I have all three of those uh, together. And, and I ended up working in all three of them. So I was like, you know, the, the funny story I tell is that Don Munson on the bottom of his typed out rejection letter, he had a handwritten note. And to me, that was like, so you're saying I got a chance. And and oh, that's, I, you know, that's kind of how I got in with him. I just kept pushing. What was so cool for me, because as I looked through those letters, I mean, it was literally every major university has sent you a rejection letter and the head coach had taken the time to be able to, to autograph it. So we had... Yeah the Indianas and the, like you said, the Oregon's and the Gonzaga's and the North Carolina's and to see all of these major coaches that I grew up uh, watching them coach. Um, that's kind of a cool collector's item too. Yeah. And, and the neat thing for me is that, uh, I got to coach against some of these guys. I got rejection letters from, you know, when I was 20, I got to, you know, we had, I remember telling coach Fisher, I still have my rejection letter from you. And, uh, so that, you know, it was kind of neat to, that it came full circle. What a cool lesson in never giving up. And we're going to talk a lot about the lessons that you teach through your culture program and, and leadership stuff that you've done. But it's just cool to see that you've lived it. You know, so many people would have gotten those letters from major coaches that know what they're doing, that are established and thought, well, if they don't think, you know, I'm fit, I probably should try another career. And he didn't. You know, so how did you finally break through? You get I mean, that that notebook has literally 50, 75. Well, no, there's, there's like a hundred. I think at one count, there was like 105. And uh, and I had a checklist, like when I, they'd respond and when I sent them, when they responded, and I still have all that. And uh, But yeah, it, it is. It's, you know, I think uh, you always hear those stories about all these, you know, great things that people have done. And I used to go to basketball camp when I was little and I remember George Raveling telling those kind of stories at camp and and it really stuck with me and you know I I even told George Raveling that a big part of my motivation to be a college coach was from those camps and I learned the lessons that that maybe you don't get in school about hey you just persistence and dedication and being tough enough and I hung those things on my wall as a kid about persistence and but and I think those were ingrained in me where I'm like I don't care I'm just going to keep fighting and keep fighting and keep fighting and and you know I think that that has to be you know that's a quality you have to have to coach at this level and to compete at this level and and and, and to accomplish anything whether it's business world whether it's you just have to have that toughness that, hey, they can tell me no a hundred times, but I'm going to keep fighting. And when they tell me yes, the 101, I'm going to take advantage of it. Well, and you have all those qualities, but you also have the ability to connect with people. And when I think about uh, playing for you and then being able to coach with you alongside you over the last, whatever, 10 years when you were at Gonzaga, uh, I would consider you to be a player's coach. And you're just a person that lights up the whole athletic department. You come in, and if volleyball is trained and you're high-fiving them, and if baseball is there, you're going to talk a little trash. 
that's how I remember you as an assistant coach. How have you changed or did you change um, now moving into a head coach at Boise State? Well, you know, I, I think what I did that helped me here a lot is I, I went out and hired some guys that weren't like me. And uh, so then I could just kind of stay in my role. I didn't have to, you know, because your team has to have discipline. You have to have, you know, you, you, you can't just be high-fiving everybody and, and get guys to play hard enough sometimes. And, you know, I, I hired some type A personality guys that were the detail guys and handled all those little things that need to be handled. And, you know, they'd get after our guys sometimes. And, you know, especially growing a program where, you just have to do all those little things right, uh, you know. But then I, I, you know, I, I would get after guys when I needed to. But I, you know, it, it really allowed my assistants really allowed me to be me, and, and that's when your best is when you get to be authentic of who you really are. And if you look at the great coaches all over the world and in, in all the different sports, the ones that really are the best is is they're authentic to themselves and they they get to be who they. They are, and I think they probably, if you talk to most of them, they went out and hired guys that were different than themselves that could help in those ways. Well, this summer when we connected, you gave me a copy of your culture book, which I haven't shown anyone. I'm obviously <laughs> tight to my chest. But what I loved about it is it really sang true to me of Leon Rice. And so I haven't got to spend a whole lot of time at your program, although I got to fly down. I was at Last year, two years ago, and got to spend a day with your strength staff and your coaching yeah. staff to see how you did it. It was awesome. But as I read through your culture book, I saw the toughness piece. I saw the love piece. It really kind of sang up who you are. Tell me a little bit about the culture program yeah. as far as, you know, what you'd feel comfortable sharing here on the podcast. Yeah, well, absolutely. That, that's, a, that's great that, you know, because that's the intent of the whole thing is that, you know, when uh, it, it was really, really hard for me to leave Gonzaga, it was, you know, everyone preaches family and this and that, but there's very few that have it like we had it at Gonzaga. It really was. And leaving Gonzaga was like a divorce. I mean, you know, Coach Few and I and our families like, okay, I'll take these three kids and you get those four. And we kind of divided up the kids and I took some of them to Boise and he kept some of them, but we, we really were it was amazing how much we were connected. And so it was really hard, but I'll never forget that when I was talking about not taking the job, you know, Dan Munson said, Hey, the great thing about you going to Boise is you can create that in Boise. You can create that there. And and I, I, I really kind of had to pause and say, you know, you're right. That's what, so I kind of had a vision or not kind of, I had a vision exactly what I wanted our program to look like, to feel like, to, you know, how we you know, wanted to look on the court, what I wanted our practices to look like and everything. And and it was accumulation of all the things I'd done to that point with the Gonzaga 11 years, Oregon, all the places I'd been. And then all the, you know, all the research and reading and studying all these other cultures. And then the neat thing that I got when I got here was Coach Pete had that culture here in football. And I got to learn a bunch of things from him. And then the neat thing about Boise is I've had all these great football coaches that have gone away, but they all come back. And I had Chuck Pagano living here for a year, and I got to be friends with him. And Dan Hawkins was spending time here between his job at UC Davis in Colorado, and I really got to know him. And so I got to study these other guys' culture, and I got to pick their brains about this. So when I developed my culture book, I took all the best things that I've learned from all these different places I've been and and I and I narrowed it down and I took actually 
I kind of took what Nike did with their, they kind of had a culture book like that. And that kind of inspired me. I was like, boy, that's a good idea. And, you know, they have all the resources in the world. They probably spent 300,000 to, to write this, this culture book. And so I kind of really studied how they did it and how they made it so concise and so to the point and, and so easy for your guys to understand, because it's one thing to have all these things. And, you know, you walk around some of these stadiums and, and places and there's 56 different words. Well, the, the players don't really know what their culture is or what they live by. The players have to know for you, for it to be your culture. It doesn't matter what you say, it's what they do. And, and so that all, all those things went into this book and I was, you know, it's a, it's a accumulation of 32 years of being in the business and working in all the brains I got to pick and the reading I got to do and the, and the studies like what you're doing right now, all those things help you form your own ideas in your own culture. So how do you take 32 years of coaching and even more with all your life experience and boil it down into basically five core things? How did you choose those five things? Well, like you said, I, I went on and on. I just turned it over and turned it over and kept really looking for what the most important thing for me was and for our program and what I really wanted it to look like and what I wanted, uh, you know, and, and, then the biggest thing, too, probably is as you get older, I mean, you get into this business, you love to compete and you love the game and you love to coach. And as you're the longer you're in it, the more you realize that the lasting things are going to be those those lives that you help shape. And, and that's your, really going to be your legacy. And all these people, you know, like you, you've gone on to great things and all those guys at Gonzaga that we're all really proud of and, and all the guys here and and not just the first round picks. That's what. Maybe that's what kids don't understand. I'm as as proud of uh, a guy I coached at the junior college who's a strength coach now at Liberty, and and he's done just great things with his life. And you know, I think I I gave him a a bridge and a platform and and maybe a base of of that he could go on and do great things. Those are the the things that you're really really proud of as a coach and you know you sure we're all competitive and we're trying to win championships and we're doing that but that's truly going to be the the good coaches that's truly going to be their best legacy well that was a nice subtle uh shout out to coach henry i love that guy we got to play over in uh, europe together on a travel team right after we graduated from high school and so yeah you talk about a quality person for all you committed people listening to the podcast Henry's coming on the podcast here in the next month or two. So just a little shout out to Henry. Well, well the, the neat thing about Henry is maybe as a young coach, I didn't even realize my impact. You know, I even had to ask him one day, why do you even like me? I, I, I recruited right over top of you with Quentin Hall, you know, and, and who played at Gonzaga. And but but the, the he gave me some feedback of how I coached him way back then. And I didn't even realize that I was making that big of an impact. And so that, that kind of opened my eyes to how important every day was and the things that you say and do and the interactions and that you have to, as a coach, you really have to guard those and you have to be calculated and you have to be um, understanding the impact you have daily. And you forget there's no, I, I guarantee there's not one coach that, you know, you get caught up in the, in the schemes and the X and O's and the, and you forget about, uh, the impact you have on these players and the the importance that every day you just got to be stressing the culture part of it. And, and in the end, that's, that's the most important thing. And that's something that Dan Hawkins shared with me when I talked about that. And, 
you know, that's a little bit of the basis for the book. He's a great coach. He knew how to, he's one of the architects of building the culture in football here at Boise. And he went to Colorado and I asked him, I said, coach, and you know, he doesn't mind me sharing this because it was an important thing. I asked him, coach, what, if you could go back to Colorado and start it over and do it again, what would you do differently? And he said, you know, there's, there's always so much pressure on us to win that you get, you start worrying about schemes and all these other things that really, they, they don't matter as much as, as culture. And he goes, and I knew how to build culture and I got away from that and I focused too much on schemes. And, and that's a great reminder for us every day is the pressures. I got a big game coming up in about eight or 10 days. And, and you start worrying about like, Oh, we have to have all our schemes correct. No, we still have to keep fighting for our culture, even though it's, it's game time. And, and that's going to be the most important thing. That's so powerful to hear a Division One basketball coach talking about the importance of culture, because I think even at the young levels, I coached my daughter's fourth grade and my son's sixth grade AAU basketball team. Even at that low level, sometimes we get pressured into thinking it's all about winning. You know, the, the winning is so important. And I love uh, the John Wooden philosophy, which is success is being your best. And so the audience won't be able to see this, but behind you, you have the pyramid of success. Yep. And I love that there's a lot more to coaching than just winning. And if you do the culture piece right, if you do all the hard work and the X's and O's, all the things that we know are important, the winning would take care of itself. And you're a living example of that. Right. And and that's what you hear all these coaches talk about. And that's what they're really talking about when you say the process. If you, if you take care of all those steps, you know, all those days at Gonzaga, all those games we won and I, don't, I lost track how many sweet 16s we went to all those NCAA. Mark and I and Billy, we didn't really talk about winning. Now, we, we never lost sight of what the true mission was. I think there's a lot of coaches that they they, they forget what their what your true mission is. And your mission is to just go one and oh. Let's go one and oh, the next one. And but it's the the culture stuff is all about the process of of doing the right things on a daily basis and those habits, uh, you know, developing those habits that make you successful. And then then the great thing about that is you're teaching these guys these habits. And that's why I call our, you know, that's why I call ours the unbreakable culture. Because our goal is to produce these unbreakable athletes that we can send out in the world and they're going to be successful. They're going to be great parents. They're going to they're going to face adversity. They're going to know how to handle it. Uh, they're going to be hard workers. They're going to, you know, understand that they have locust of control, that they are in control of their lives and and they take it by the horns and, and go do it. And those are those are key lessons that we're teaching on a daily basis that, hey, you know, last year everyone was making a big, you know, talking about, oh, we're the most unluckiest team in the history of Ken Palm, you know, the statistical analysis and you know, I, yeah, that was great. I, 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 the media was talking about that, but I, I never let that be seep into what we were talking about because that 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 makes it sound like we had no control of it. No, that's the opposite lesson of what our we're teaching our guys, and uh, that we have control. Hey, things things don't go your way all the time. Sure, that might happen, but if you keep fighting, you're going to make it through. We always, we, every team, every athlete, every great success story, they had to go through the valley of death. Everyone, great entrepreneurs, great, uh, you know, anybody that accomplished anything, they went through the valley of death. Now, sometimes that valley can be two games, can be uh, three weeks, it can be six months, 
can be a year or whatever. But when you come out of that valley, you're going to be better for it. And I think that's what we had to do last year. We went through the valley of death and we just kept fighting through it, knowing that we're going to come out on the other side. It's going to be within our control and we're going to do that. And, and I think I have a better team this year because of that. I love all those life lessons transcend sport. You know, you talked about the mission of playing basketball is you have to go one and or you have to win. It's the same thing in business. If you don't make money, you can't pay your team members or your employees and there is no business. So, for right. sure, you have to make money. That's just sound principles. But the focus can't be on making money every day. If you do that, you're probably going to fall apart. If you think about how do we serve our team members, our employees first, so they can turn around and serve our clients, our athletes, our patients, then you're going to have a successful model. And the, and the money will take care of itself as long as it's built on sound principles. One of the things that, looking through your culture book, that really shocked me a little bit, I didn't expect to see, one of your core values, well, first off, what I really love is it has the core value in a kind of a cool way, kind of like when I read the book uh, about the all blacks and they talked yeah. about sweeping the shed. I just thought that what a cool image it painted. Well, you have five core truths in here that have a lot of different plays on words, but it's not just a philosophy. It actually has actionable items. These are things that we do on a daily basis. And one of them was I play fair. And I read that and I didn't think that would be one that we wouldn't necessarily be talking at the highest level when we're talking about, hey, we have to win and we have to be tough. Uh, tell me about the I play fair. Maxim. Well, you know, you, you, you there can be no halfway. You know, you, you either got to make a decision that you're going to do things the right way and take the high road. And then, you know, because because that comes the I play fair thing is the the live in truth. It, it, live in truth is our one of our core values and. When you when I just hired a new assistant coach and we, we got he got here and he's watching us coach our guys. And he said, you know, one of the greatest things that I love about this program is that you're, you guys are just honest with your players. Now, sometimes that's hard. I mean, we're going to tell our players what they need to hear, not what they want to hear all the time. You know, and sometimes, you know, there's sometimes when you got to sugarcoat it a little bit and and try to get the message across in the right way i mean you know with their feelings you know in in mind but uh i think you do you do kids a great service when you can tell them the truth in a great way that they can understand and it doesn't you know there there doesn't have to be sarcasm there doesn't have you know that, that kind of thing it but the more you can tell your athletes and your players the truth, the better the better off chance they have. So to, to make them understand that it's important that that we want to give you those truths. And like I, like you said, that the, our living truth, the, the four behaviors are I do the right thing, I play fair, I can always be trusted, and then I hold the rope. And, and that's talking about, you know, you're going to do things for your teammates when people aren't looking that, that, that are truthful, that are honest, that are you know, so you're not living two separate lives. You're, you know, the way you, uh, it makes things a lot easier when, when you just can live in truth. And, and that's a hard thing, but it creates this authenticity in our culture that, that, that our guys come to expect and come to understand. And, and I think it, it's a huge part of our player development process. Well, it's one thing to have a book. And first off, I don't know many places that actually have a culture book. So you already kind of set yourself apart. But it's another thing to live it. How are you kind of implementing this on a daily, weekly, quarterly season? You know, how are you actually helping these players learn about these values and live them? 
Well, that that's a hard thing too, because like you said, you just get so busy and you get into in. Oh, we have practice. We got to put this in. We got to put that in, and and you can get away from it. But one of the ways that we do it is they have to take ownership in it, and we have them present stuff about you know maybe live in truth and and we'll talk about it as a group and they have to know they're accountable for knowing what the behaviors are and so then you can't you can't live the behaviors if you don't know what they are and and there's only like three or four of them on each on each maxim and uh you know so it's i'm not telling them to, to learn 67 different behaviors hey these are the most important things and we have to live them every day so with that being said i want i want these guys to be able to to tell stories about our culture and and catch each other doing things that are in our culture and we had a, a really neat thing that we were doing and uh, you give a power aid out to somebody like if you saw somebody doing the right thing you'd get up in front of the team say hey I saw so and so do this and blah 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 and and he'd go into it I you know one of our uh, maxims is blue collar and we'd have a guy get up and he said hey you know this guy's inspired me to work harder because he's always in the gym working and he'd he'd award him a power aid and i i thought that was pretty powerful and, and when our guys could get up and show examples of of our culture at work through our other guys and 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 that's one of the great things that we do so it's you know those daily things that we're doing and and to be connected to be living it every day and enforcing it reinforcing it every day so I'm a parent and I'm listening to you speak right now and I'm thinking, I want my son to come play for Coach Rice. Yeah. Obviously, we have to be able to have a skill set, the athleticism or the, you know, the, the shooting, dribbling, passing skills to play for you. What are those other qualities that you're recruiting in an athlete? Well, never underestimate love for the game and how much it means to kids. And, uh, you know, so I'll, I, I will never turn down a kid. Uh, that we're recruiting that really, really wants to be here and really loves basketball, wants to develop. Those guys, those guys develop. And I've got three freshmen right now. They've got a little moxie to them, and but they just love the game and they love doing the right. And they're, you know, they're maybe not as gifted physically as you know some of these great players that you see in in the Mountain West and that you see through college basketball. But there's not one part of me that doubts them being great players here someday because of love for the game. And, and I learned that lesson with Dan Dickow. I, I tell this at camp all the time. And I tell the Dickow story all the time about how he would just come into my back then I was in a cubicle at Gonzaga and boy, it's, times have changed. And Dan would come in and just grab me every day. Let's go shoot. Let's go shoot. Let's go shoot. Let's, you know, I wasn't having to go find him. He was coming and grabbing me. And, uh, he was coming off, you know, where he played at the University of Washington. He averaged about five or six points a game. He was a six-foot guard, and he'll he'll debate that with me. He'll probably say six-two, but you know, he was a six-foot guard that uh, he just loved the game, wanted to work. And and I asked him one day, I said, "Well, what do you want to do after college?" Thinking he'd say, "Oh, I'm going to go into business and this and that because you're a smart guy and this and that." And he said, "I want to play in the NBA." And I remember thinking like. God bless him. He still hasn't lost his dream, you know, and, and I doubted him, but I learned that. I mean, he really taught me about that. Like I never underestimate somebody that was willing to work, that really, really wants it, that, that loves the game of basketball 
the sky's the limit for that. And it changed my whole approach to player development, to recruiting. You know, I always just thought you, you, we got to just keep going, getting better athletes, bigger, stronger, faster. And that character piece, you know, Dan really, really changed my approach to how I recruit and what I value. And, and, you know, I, I've, I've told him that story, but it's amazing. You know, we all know what he went on to average 21 is, junior year and 24 is senior year and was a wooden award finalist and first round draft pick and it's one of the greatest stories well and being at gonzaga you got to see so many walk-ons come on with the love of the game not just earning a scholarship but becoming starters in all leagues you know you have the mark spinks and the kyle bankheads and the mike hearts and the mike nielsen don't forget (laughs) that well that's a story i always tell i mean you know, we went down and played Utah in a scrimmage, and uh, two of my five starters were walk-ons. And, you know, I told the story about – and one of them's an NBA prospect right now. He's uh, he's on the draft boards, and, and you know, that comes from my Gonzaga days of, you know, you look at that first team that went to the Elite Eight led by Mike Nielsen, they – three of the top eight were walk-ons. And and but that's the, the, you say the term walk on. It's so different. You know, it can mean a lot of different things. But at Gonzaga, what it really meant is these tough, hard nosed guys that were willing to work, that were willing to develop, spend time, all those core value things that are in my in my culture now and that I value. And, and that's what makes guys great. So now you get a group of nucleus of those kind of guys and you and you go out and compliment them with you know, extreme physical talented guys. And that that's a great recipe for success because both can get things from each other and learn from each other. And, and that's a big part of our, you know, uh, what we do here. Well, one of the great players you have on your team right now actually has a dual role. He's your son. Oh yeah, that's, that's true. I love coaching my kids. You know, I, I mentioned, I have three little kids. I'm, my son Memphis just started playing basketball last year. And I think about how fun that is just to be able to be with your son and daughter at practice every night and be in the games. But it's also a little tricky because you have to it wear this hat. It I is. I imagine doing it at the Division One level. Can you share some stories how that's been working out with you and Max? Oh, yeah. It's, you know, I, first of all, I talked to a lot of people that, that coached their kids throughout the years and, and, learn, and, and, and you know, they all told me, I talked to Steve Alford, I talked to McDermott, I talked, you know, I talked to Morrison's dad about it. I talked to, you know, all these different opportunities I've had over the years to talk to people about coaching their kids, not just at the Division One level, but any level. And and the, the common theme was, hey, there's going to be challenges, no doubt about it, but there's nothing as good as coaching your own kid. And um, so, you know, obviously we took the chance and we did it, and he redshirted last year, and uh, it's just been a we, – we had a – we always have a saying, you know, Mark and I and uh, other coaches when – when you have to miss all these things for your kids and max played in the state championship three straight years and i didn't get to go to one of them and we just say that's poj part of the job you just there's trade-offs and our kids always understood that well now that he's on the team i'm getting the other side of those good trade-offs i'm i'm getting to be with him every day and and it's really neat He, he blends in so good with the team that i really don't treat him like uh like he's any different than you know my 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 thing is i I just don't want to discriminate against him because he's my son and and i think i find myself maybe doing that 
where I just got to, I, I got to be able to make those decisions like, Hey, like he's any other kid, I would play him or not play, you know, and because I think I'm, I think you have a tendency to be harder on your kids and you think, well, I don't want to give him this because people will think I'm just giving him this because of, no, I'm, I'm not going to do that. And, um, funny thing is I, I don't, we don't even call him max at practice. Uh, he wears number 12 because of John Stockton because he played, he actually played for John in AU when he was growing up a little bit. And, uh, so he wears number 12 and one day I, it was just kind of weird. We were, like I call him Max and he called me dad a little bit. And so it was like, well, this doesn't seem right. So I just started calling him 12 and now everybody on the team calls him 12 and I call him 12. And so, you know, you know, you don't even think of him as a, as my son. I think of him as just one of the players because, you know, you know, and I know, and it's not cliche. It's not, we really treat, I mean, I spent more time with Justinian Jessup the last five years than I have with my own kids. And, you know, that that's a terrible thing to say, but it's the reality. It's POJ. It's part of the job. So th- those kids are treated like my sons anyways. I mean, I'm hard on them. I get after them. I talk to them the same way I would my son. So th- there's really no difference. Uh, when, when you come and watch practice, you wouldn't, if you didn't know which one was my son, you, you could, you might have three or four guesses. Now you just glanced over this fact that John Stockton coached your son. Can we can we yeah. just take a second and say the greatest point guard of all time? Yeah, how about that? How to play hoops? How cool is that? Yeah, and and I was really really curious to see how he would do with it, uh, and he was terrific. It was amazing because Max was one of those kids that boy he was an aggressive score, and so I was I was really anxious to see how John would manage, you know, coaching that because. You know, will it, will he make him a passer? Will it be equal opportunity? Will he? And, and I just really, really, uh, he he really taught Max some great things, and and I think uh, Max really, really enjoyed his time with uh, playing. You know, the all our time at Gonzaga, Max got to play for some great coaches throughout his life. You know, Morrison coached him in a tournament one time, and uh, you know he had good coaches, and he had John for a couple of years, and. Uh, that what a base for a kid to get to to play for guys like that. Well, over the years, I really missed our talks because you'd come in and you'd always like open up a random book and read a page out of it, and it would be a great discussion point for the day. One of the things I really missed was talks about being a parent because yeah. you're a few years ahead of me in the game, and so you'd always kind of say, hey, "Here's something I've learned," but we haven't got to have those conversations as often over the last few years. So now, as a as a young parent, still. Um, as a coach of young kids, any advice that you'd have for me? Well, you know, uh, yeah, I, I, I think this is an important thing for all our, you know, we all like now we got guys that played sports and that have been in, really involved with it or having kids like you and all these guys that that are former players. And um, it's hard. It's hard not to get your ego involved. It's hard not to be overly involved because you care so much and you're passionate about the game and this and that. But, you know, I learned a valuable lesson when I went and watched my, my oldest got into lacrosse and I knew nothing about lacrosse, nothing. And, you know, he's out there playing hard and, and looking like he's having a great time. And, and I remember he got in the car after practice and I said, man, that looked like it was fun. And I thought, well, that's what I should be saying after every sport, not like I pick him up from basketball and I had 50 things that I analyzed and that, you know, 
and and maybe I'd try not to go that direction, but you end up like, hey, well, why don't you do this, this, and this? no, that, that's what you should. Are you having fun? Are you playing hard? That that you know, I think I told my kids at a young age. I said, hey, you're really busy, and you got all these different choices to make of what to do and where you spend your time. I have same way. I'll come to everything you do as long as you're playing with passion, as long as you're doing it with passion. It didn't have to be sports. Like if you're in the if you're in the play, do it with passion and I'll love watching it. You know, but don't don't just go out there and just be out there just to be out there and not, you know, because you're wasting your own time and you're wasting a lot, you know, everybody's time. So I think if you can focus on that, if you focus on, hey, are they are you are you playing with passion, having fun, enjoying it, that approach it like you would lacrosse where you just know nothing about it and you don't even care what but that's the greatest thing none of those parents know what position their kids should be playing because out on the west nobody knows about lacrosse but that's the way i think we need to approach basketball and football and no not my kid needs to be the shortstop hey my kid's having fun he's playing with passion he's enjoying it he's getting he's being a great teammate all those kind of things and if the focus is that I think it creates a healthy environment for your kids to have success. That's exactly what I needed to hear because I think as a young coach, sometimes our egos get wrapped up in what our kids do. And so absolutely, you and hear you take that approach and then also see your kids be successful, not just in basketball, but in other areas because they're doing what they're, what they're passionate about. You um, know, the, and the, the other thing I think that we need to know, and, and you know, I, I learned it too. And I, I knew I had the advantage of knowing where Max was going to go and and I knew he was a good player and I and I knew he had to get better to play at college and continue to get better because those are the ones that make it you know like those you know John Stockton's speech at his Hall of Fame is the greatest in the fact that he said I wasn't the best player on my 8th grade team I wasn't the best player on my high school team wasn't the best player on my college team and when wound up being one of the greatest players of all time and the you know top 50 player greatest point guard of all, all those things that he got well it was because of his improvement you know there's too many parents right now that they they're they're so protective of their kids and they're they're so caught up in it that they want them to have success 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 you know i actually was i would watch max's games in high school and i was rooting for failure cuz i knew I knew that how he would respond to it. I knew that lessons I could teach him from it. And I knew that it was going to be, it was going to be really important for him to be a great player in college is to learn those, not, you know, you couldn't have everything come easy. You couldn't, well, if it comes hard and if you're missing shots, guess what? You're going to get back in and work harder at it. If you're going to, if you're ball handling, you got, you got the ball stolen from you at game point. Well, you learn that you got to have a better handle and work on that. And all those lessons through failure, those are so valuable, but I see so many parents now where they're just, they're almost in angst because of failures. I think those have to be addressed because they open up this, hey, yeah, that felt terrible, didn't it? Well, let's let's go back in the gym. Let's work on that so it doesn't happen again. And, and those lessons of of getting your nose back to the grindstone and working through it and, and developing from it, and th- those are powerful because those are the ones that are going to help them, not the the protective parents that don't want them to fail it, it invite failure. Uh, you know, I think that's, that's a great lesson and it's hard. It's hard because you, you go to these games and you know, there's people watching, like you said, sometimes your ego gets involved and you want them to do great and you want everybody to come and say, Oh, your son was great. But invite the failure and approach it the right way. And, and, and the lessons will last a lifetime. 
Dude, what a great way to finish out the podcast. Coach, thank you so much for joining me. I have a feeling that you're going to be a, a favorite on this. Well, the, the great thing about this, Mike, is, you know, when you get to talk about this kind of stuff, it does. I was about to walk in my uh, my assistant's office and talk about schemes. No, I'm going to go in there and we're going to talk about some culture stuff and get things right and get our guys playing hard and playing together and loving each other. And, and when they do that, we're going to have a good team. Oh, well, thank you so much. I got one more favor to ask. You got it. Will you give Robin a big hug and find out what book she's reading because uh, she always brings some good. She form. has great ones, and she's you know to to be married to her with her counseling, not not just the way she is as a person. She's unbelievable, but her counseling, her her the way she looks at problems and stuff. What an asset for a coach to have. And let me show you my other asset. Come here, Stella. Come here. We we have a team dog. She comes to practices. Come on. She she wants to be on the podcast. Her name is Stella, and uh, she's great for the guys to be around. She's another one that really helps me. You talk about unconditional love. I, I don't have to go undefeated for her to still like me. Oh, that picture right there. I'm screenshotting the picture of Stella licking your face right now. That's <laughs> Thanks. All right, Mike. It was great to talk with you. Let's do it again. Man, I could talk to Leon all day long. I love how intentional he is with building his team culture and creating leaders. If you're interested in creating better leaders for your team, I've got a really helpful resource. Instead of me telling my players the areas they need to improve, I've created self-assessment questionnaires that allow the players to determine what level leader they are. After taking the short assessment, it's really obvious to them the next steps they need to take to become a better teammate and leader. If you want to download my level one leadership self-assessment, Go to hoopcommitment.com forward slash 13 download and you'll get the exact questionnaire I use with my players. I've been doing this for four years and not only do the coaches and parents love it, but it's really insightful for our players. Athletes want to be great leaders, but most of them just don't know how. After taking the level one leadership questionnaire, players, coaches, and parents will know exactly what to do to become their best. Go to hoopcommitment.com forward slash 13 download and grab your free level one leadership questionnaire. Now next week, I have a legit basketball strength coach joining us named Mike Robertson. He's the president of Robertson Training Systems, co-owner of iFast, and has his own podcast called the Physical Preparation Podcast. I heard him present at a conference on modifying Olympic and powerlifting to fit the unique body type and needs of basketball players and I knew I had to bring him on the show. Man, I have the best job in the world. I get to find experts in the field of basketball nutrition, training, and leadership, and then have an excuse to pick their brains for an hour. Isn't life good? Now that's a wrap on episode 13. If you're enjoying the show, I have a favor to ask. It would really mean a lot if you'd hit subscribe and leave a rating. The more subscribes and ratings we get, the better chance our podcast has of being found and the better chance we have to help players stay healthy and become servant leaders. Together, we can impact the culture of basketball by sharing how the great players in the game eat healthy, train smart, and lead well. And to those of you who are committed, earn your X. <laughs>